So this morning, I want to talk about mindfulness in the midst of the activity of our lives. So your question was very appropriate. And what I would like to do is to lay out some of my reflections on this uh, today and then encourage you, those who are interested, to really give some strong effort to mindfulness in the next week. And then I'd like to come back next week and see what we found and continue on with the subject so that you could, um, what I'm proposing is kind of a two-session sandwich and in the middle is your life. And on the, the two pieces of bread, as it were, are the sessions today and next time that will hopefully give some orientation and some inspiration and some energy for bringing more mindfulness into our daily lives if you so choose. (laughs) Uh, And we could even see whether we want to go forward for the third session I'll do at the end of August, but probably can wait till that till next time. And so what I'd like to do um, today is to really talk about three things. Um, The first is why mindfulness in daily life is important and some of what it might mean Secondly, look at the kinds of supports which make mindfulness in daily life more possible, more likely. And thirdly, talk about what I think is really the heart of mindfulness in daily life, which is finding ways to have a a deep access moment to moment to our hearts, to our bodies, and to our minds. So it's first why it's important, secondly, the kind of supports that are helpful, and thirdly, what I think the heart of the uh, practice of mindfulness in daily life is. So, for many of us, um, being mindful in daily life isn't so easy. And we may have the experience of being fairly present uh, when we sit, or possibly in, in a retreat. And yet, mindfulness in daily life sometimes is quite hard, and, and we can often feel, where, does, where has the mindfulness gone? You know, where, is, uh, where is my mindfulness after this great retreat, after this great sitting, in the midst of driving on the freeway, you know, driving my son or daughter to the proverbial soccer match, uh, completing my to-do list and so forth. And yet it seems to me that the heart of our practice, you know, really what we need to do, each of us, is to find ways for the mindfulness to be very strong in daily life. The practice that we're working with that comes uh, from the Buddha, and it's similar to other traditions, but that coming through the Buddha and is a, is a mindfulness practice, the teaching is that a kind of constant mindfulness is really necessary to come to freedom. Another way we could say it is that a steady, 
constant mindfulness is also the expression of freedom. Some of you may remember the, uh, the story that Jack Kornfield tells where he was told by his teacher Achan Cha, if you really want to be free and enlightened and liberated, you just have to be mindful for seven straight days. <laughs> All the time, for seven straight days, and that'll do it. And he was, Achan Cha was referring to the end of the uh, Satipatthana Sutta. Some of you have read this, and you know that it says, you know, oh monks and nuns, if you would just be mindful for one year, you would be free. And he says, no, not even one year, one month. And no, not even one month. You know, it sounds kind of like a, a reduction in prices during a sale or something. <laughs> you know, but anyway, that's, this is, I don't know if it was, if the Buddha was, you know, counseled by the local, you know, marketing people. But anyway, he, he, he brought down the, the price, as it were, and said, you only have to be mindful for seven days constantly, and that will do it. No, and it's uh, and and if you remember, if you've heard Jack tell the story, Jack was very excited. He said, "Oh, only seven days," <laughs> and, and you know, and you know, forget this years and years of practice. Only seven days, and he sat there, saying, "Oh," and he, he, he as he tells the story, he instantly started th- thinking of all the things he would do once he was enlightened. <laughs> and he said, "Oops, okay, seven days starts now," <laughs> and then he would go off again. So, oh, seven days starts now. So. Um, so we have, we have that uh, kind of invocation, and it's, it's also something that we find in other traditions. Some of you know the um, story of the Jesus Prayer, which comes out of Russian Orthodox tradition, where uh, there was a book written in the 19th century by a person who's only known as the Pilgrim, and who writes a book saying that the work of the lover of Jesus is to keep an ongoing prayer in the heart at every moment. You know, it's to, to pray unceasingly, which I think, I think is in the Bible. You know, and, and the question is, how do we do that and what does that mean? And I believe that we need to do something like that in our own lives, in this culture. And it's really hard. It's really hard to do. It's hard to do in a monastery where there's constant support. It's hard to do in a retreat, right? Where there's constant support for mindfulness. But somehow I think what's, what's uh, demanded of us, if we want to take this uh, practice seriously, and I, I imagine all of us wouldn't be here unless in some ways we do, is that we have to make this mindfulness real in our lives. We have to make this mindfulness something that really is strong, not just something that we come once a week and we're kind of mindful and then we live our lives, maybe with more wisdom, but there's something if people are really drawn to the sense of uh, freedom, we have to have mindfulness be quite strong in our lives, almost similar to what we might find um, there in a monastery. I believe that in our approach, we don't talk about this enough. You know, that the retreat, I think we tend to be somewhat uh, retreat dominated for people who've who've gone to retreats here a lot and been in, in practice. And those are wonderful and fine. But I, it's my own view and my own experience that we really don't give quite enough time to what mindfulness means in daily life, that we tend to be, give teachings which are very appropriate for going deeper in retreats. But I think we need to find collectively 
ways to make this very real in uh, the midst of this very um, interesting, strange, bizarre, fruitful, dangerous culture. You know? And what is, what's it going to look like? I think that that's really the um, question that uh, is given to us. You know, if we want to do this seriously, we can be a little bit mindful. But I think most of us are here because we don't, we're not, may not be satisfied with just being a little mindful. Maybe we want to be a lot mindful. And yet we, it's hard to know what to do. It's hard to know what to do. I remember meeting a monk in uh, Thailand. I, I was at a monastery in uh, northern Thailand, uh, which was uh, guided by the teacher Achan Mahabua. Some of you know him from because he's in the book on uh, that originally was called Living Buddhist Masters that Jack uh, did and is now called Living Dharma. And um, I met the senior Western monk in all of Thailand, and I would talk with him most afternoons when I was staying there. And when I originally came, I had come from being at a gathering of what we call socially engaged Buddhists that was meeting in a, another monastery, um, also in northern Thailand, for, for several weeks. And I'd come really kind of interested and excited by the notion of um, bringing the teachings into action in the world, because that's what we had 100 people, from all, mostly from Asia, but also from the US. I was very excited, and he said, you know, doing nice things for other people is OK, but it's not really going to get at the heart of the practice. You know, he's, it was his view that you couldn't really do the practice deeply unless you lived in a monastery. And I said, hmm. Okay. You know, uh, and, and, he, and what he was suggesting was that there is a danger of us doing it more superficially, as if the real spiritual aspirants would just go to the monastery. And somehow I think that there is an um, intuition in our culture that there is some way of having a lot of depth without being a monk or a nun. I think many of us are called in that direction. And if we wanted to be a monk or a nun, we might, uh, you know, we have that option, right? I know for myself there was something that um, told me, actually, over 20 years ago, my own path is to try to find ways to make this real in this culture in an integrated way. And you may have had similar intuitions. You know, here's, um, this is from Norman Fisher, who, who has a, a group or foundation that he calls Everyday Zen, which I think is very much in the spirit. He says, in all my projects, I'm always stressing the same thing. Depth of spiritual practice is crucial to a life that is sustainable and concerned for the world. We can practice, we do practice. And it makes a difference in our own lives and in the world. So the question is, how do we do that? If we're drawn in that direction, what does it look like? How do we, how do we um, make mindfulness really come alive in this culture, in our, in our own lives? And maybe just to, to expand a few a few points here about, uh, about that challenge. I want to say, first of all, that it's difficult to do in this culture. 
it's a very speedy culture. It's a very busy culture. You know, in men, for many of us, there is a, there's a very big separation between our doing and our being, you might say. That we have the, these places where we can just be and be present, but we get caught up in an enormous amount of doing. This is what Thomas Merton said. There's a pervasive form of contemporary violence to which idealistic people easily succumb. Overwork. <laughs> to allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit oneself to too many people, to want to help everyone and everything, is to succumb to violence. The frenzy kills the root of inner wisdom which makes work fruitful. And we, we live in a culture which uh, tends to overwork us. Some of you know the book by a woman named Juliet Shore called The Overworked American, which documented that we're actually working considerably more than 20 or 30 years ago. You know, that essentially there was a kind of a choice that the Western societies had maybe 30, 40 years ago. With all the new technologies, there was a kind of choice. Should we keep more or less the same level of productivity and work less and have more leisure time? Or should we increase, ratchet up the level of productivity and work more and have less leisure time? It was never discussed publicly. One of the limits of democracy (laughs) that we often don't deal with the most important issues, but that's another question. And so it was never discussed publicly, but what we seem to have done is to accept the second option, right? We have all these new products, everything's out there, and we're working more than we did before. It was, it would have, Europe and some of the other countries seem to have taken more the other option. You know, they have more leisure time. I think I saw statistics that said that Germans, for example, uh, work about three or four hundred hours a year less than Americans, and they're equally productive. And so, anyway, I don't want to get too much into that, but just to say that the conditions are hard for being mindful because it's hard to be mindful when we're overworked and overly busy, right? And that's just one factor that that we could name. So, what, what supports us in being mindful in daily life? Being aware that there are somewhat hard conditions uh, what really what really helps us to be mindful in daily life? And I'd, I'd like to, before I say a few words, I'd like you to go back, if you can, just to your own reflections at the end of the sitting. Just take a minute or two. What helps you to be mindful in your daily life? Just take a minute or two of, of silent reflection again. What are some things which are helpful? If we could just um, please uh, speak up. Yes. Yeah. 
Less multitasking. Less multitasking. Yeah. And I'll, I'll repeat these uh, so everyone can hear. Less multitasking. What else helps? Working really on the conviction, the inner conviction that doing is not my only value in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and, and saying that, what, what is your value then? Being. Being. And taking time every day mm-hmm. to just be. Yeah. Taking time every day to just be and really being clear yourself that your own quality of being is what's most important rather than the doing. Yeah. Please. Journaling, um, meditation, and walking and talking with our, you know, certain friends that we can remind ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Every day. Yeah, so the journaling, which helps you to center and be present, the meditation, which again brings you back to yourself, and then the, the being with the friends, which, which orients your, your, yourself. Yeah, great. Please. Um, every once in a while, I have a post-it on my bathroom mirror that shows me my <laughs> Yeah. It sort of comes and goes. Um, I spend a lot of time at Kaiser waiting, and I try and just take some of that time to just get present. Yeah. But your question, how, what helps me do that, I don't know. It just sort of pops into my head periodically. Yeah. I wish it would pop more often. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What helps? Yeah. So, so the what were you saying? The post-its. The post-it helps. The post-it helps, <laughs> and then just taking opportunities where you're waiting is a chance for mindfulness. Please. Yeah. Um, I find if I set the intention to catch my thoughts as they arise and label them. Yeah. Yeah, great. So using, using some of the techniques that we develop on the cushion in daily life, labeling particularly maybe um, difficult or stressful thoughts, being on the lookout for them. Yeah, please. Something that I think that we take for granted is our own breath. Yeah. And the simplicity of just, we have that at our dressing call at any moment. Yeah. Is to just be clean for our breath and, and just breathe slowly and just whatever I might be driving along, just retrieve my breath. Yeah. Yeah. Finding, finding um, kind of an anchor, you might say, or maybe call it a, a thread in your experience, which you really feel you can have access to, that brings you back to the present. Yeah. Please, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, Sylvia told a story a couple of weeks ago, and, and, and her, her line was, she didn't have to pick it up when something happened. She just thought, I'm just not going to pick that up. And that has really helped me. I'm just saying, okay, I'm not going to pick it up. And then also the other, the other suggestion was, if you find you've picked it up, just let it go. And that's really helped. Mm-hmm. I can find myself, and it's a great joy to know that I don't have to stick with it. Mm-hmm. If I've made an error and I've been unskillful, I can just mm-hmm. let it go. So ha- having some uh, mindfulness of what's happening, first of all, to know, and then, and then the wisdom to act with the stuff that could trap you, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, first of all, mindfulness knowing that it's happening. So it's, it sounds like it's partly uh, you know, um, similar to the other uh, comment, letting some sticky or difficult situations be a kind of wake-up call. Yeah, which is a real important one. Please. Yeah. I live with two dogs. Yeah. 
mindful than I am. <laughs> and I, I spend time every day with them out in nature. Um, yeah. And just trying to experience the world, um, not necessarily as they do, but as, as I do yeah. in, in a similar manner. Yeah. So having well-chosen uh, <laughs> mindfulness companions. <laughs> well-chosen mindfulness companions who somehow bring out the mindfulness. You go for a walk and that something happens that wouldn't happen otherwise, right? You're at, yeah. Even on my walk, when I find yeah. myself going off, I go, well, wait a minute, I'm on my walk. <laughs> yeah, 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 please, yeah. Well, when you asked that question, this phrase came to my mind, which it really surprised me and it's still staying there. Yeah. It's not language I would usually use, but it's to be still and know that I am God. Yeah. And so there's something about just <coughs> taking a moment to be still. <coughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, it just really surprised me that that phrase yeah. came so strong. So hearing, you know, having that phrase come to, it's partly almost uh, asking the question, what helps me can bring forth unexpected uh, insight, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah maybe uh, two more. Okay, please. These stretching and breathing exercises every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe stretching and breathing exercises partly to just uh, come into more awareness of your body. To relax the body and mm-hmm. have more awareness of the body. Relax, and so the body can sometimes be a primary vehicle for awareness in, in daily life. Um, please, Judy. This week I've been remembering something, I think you said it. Um, when I'm walking, I am aware I'm walking. When I'm sitting, I'm aware I'm sitting. So I'm doing body position yeah. as a starting kind of helping. Yeah, in, in daily life. Yes. Yeah, just like being there, no, you know, in whatever, driving, I know I'm sitting or something like that. <laughs> yeah, just to know that. Please, last, last one. I've had some recent medical problems come up that made me realize I had to change some aspects of my life. Yeah. And I was practically supporting 3M with all my post-its that I have all yeah. over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to list and busyness and that kind of thing. Yeah. So this, that was a wake-up call. Yeah. So, so were you saying that the post-its were helping you to be mindful? No. Or get, helping you to be distracted? <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So it was partly... Maybe what I'm hearing is this theme that I was going to bring up is the value of uh, simplifying yeah, for mindfulness. Yeah. So let me mention a few things that occurred to me. And I, I think in the discussion, I w- I'd love to hear more. I think that you know, maybe what we'll do over the next five years is we'll write a book together, <laughs> about, uh, which will be of tremendous value to the public about, um, you know, I guess, I'm not too much into marketing at this point, but could be like a hundred ways to be mindful in daily life or something. And, you know, just have them all there and, and tell stories with each of them. Kind of like, yeah. 50 ways. 50. 10 ways. Five ways. Okay. 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 We'll, we'll work out these details next week. <laughs> One way. <laughs> okay. Well, I think we may have a series of books for people who have, some prefer a lot of ways, some prefer one, you know. Anyway, we'll see. But let me, uh, let me mention a few that occurred to me that I just want to uh, bring up. Uh, just different. Uh, I think one of them is really a, 
um, might be a set of techniques that just help us uh, come to more mindfulness. And you know, it, it, it is like having some of the post-its of the non-complicated sort. Uh, having, you know, I remember at IMS uh, when I first was there, they used, uh, they had a big sign on one of the walls that just said, remember, it was like four feet long, just said, remember, and you're off. You want to put those in your house, do that. You know, I know in some of the small groups that I work with uh, in Berkeley, uh, we've done, we've used techniques, particularly when we focused on, uh, on speech and mindfulness and speech, which we've done here, I, I think at least once or twice. And people actually write on their hands, you know, be mindful or use some of the guidelines. You can write stuff on your hands, you can wear jewelry, you can wear these little red um, threads that uh, are reminders. You know, there are a whole set of techniques that help us to remember because the challenge of mindfulness in daily life is not the difficulty of mindfulness, it's the difficulty of remembering. It's difficult to remember to be mindful. Once we remember, we're actually not bad, at least for a few seconds. And so, so the, the challenge for us is to find ways to remember, to have that framework there. And when we're in a monastery or a retreat, every piece of the architecture, every piece of the instructions of what other people are doing are reminding us to be mindful. We could ask the question, how do we move toward, how do we uh, work to find that support in a society which for most of us, in, in our lives for most of us, doesn't have that level of support? So there are all these varieties of techniques that one can do to ha- just to have signs right on your hand, do this or that. Um, a powerful area is something that was mentioned. It's the area of intention. That intention is one of the really strongest areas. And I think ultimately this is uh, probably what will help the most. It's having the intention be activated. I think we know the importance of intention in Buddhist practice, that intention is uh, actually the way that the Buddha defined karma. He said, karma is intention. You know, it's our intentions that carry forth uh, what we'll do and really bring the um, possibility of mindfulness into our lives, possibility of wisdom. So there are various ways that we can that we can use intention. One is in our in our morning sittings, just to have a period when we really set intentions. You know, setting intentions for me is a very very important activity that we can do constantly. We can set intentions in the morning. I like to set intentions at, at almost every activity, as much as I can. To set intentions when I go to a meeting, as much as I can remember. How am I going to be at this meeting? It's really an expression of the quality or the way in which increasingly mindfulness and the opening of our hearts and minds and our own healing and transformation is the most important thing in our lives. And that's not, that's something that we each have to answer for ourselves. But I know for myself, to the extent that I see it that way, I want to change my life somewhat. If, if the awakening of the heart and the mind is the most important thing, how would we live? And sometimes we, we're not quite sure that it is, or that sometimes we're in transition, you know, and we kind of think that it is, but if someone would look from the outside, it might not quite look that way, right? You know, we seem to be preoccupied by all sorts of other things. So there's a deep question that we have to ask for ourselves. What's important for me? What do I really want with my life? 
It's a powerful question, you know, and it's a question that's good to keep on asking. If we decide that this is the most important thing for me, you know, which, which is, uh, I personally feel that, that I want to set intentions a lot. I want to set intentions at meetings. I want to set intentions maybe even when I drive. I want to remember to set the intention to be aware as much as I can. So that's the, the, the quality of intention is really uh, crucial. It's also really being realistic about what's going to help me be, um, be mindful. It's very hard just to have one class a week or one retreat a year actually do it. We may need more support than that. We may need to be realistic and say, if this is important for me, what follows? You know, and we may need to make some changes in our lives. You know, I had a very interesting discussion about uh, two weeks ago with a group, uh, one of the groups I work with at my home. And it was, um, it was an evening when we usually do a check-in and people came in and for whatever reason, several of the people felt um, somewhat uh, a little bit lost. They hadn't been practicing so much, you know, and they felt, some felt a little guilty and, and it kind of, for whatever reason, it was the resonant chord. A lot of people felt that and it led us sort of unexpectedly to go into the question of intention. What do people really want? Do you want to awaken? If you do, what do you need to do? Are you fooling yourself? Are we fooling ourselves about what, how, what it takes to awaken? Sometimes I think for myself and others, we kind of think magically. If I just am mindful a little bit, I'll be mindful all the time. You know? Do you know that tendency in your own mind? It's a kind of magical thinking. Oh, I just need to come to Spirit Rock once a week and I'll just be mindful and everything will... It doesn't work that way, unfortunately. And so there's something that um, we really have to ask in ourselves. What do I really want? And what... And am I willing to make some changes? You know, in this group, I think something... Something uh, happened in the group that evening because people saw that if they're really serious about this, they have to put out a little more effort. You might say a lot of what we're talking about is what's the quality of right effort in our daily lives to be mindful. It's one way we can, can look at what we're, we're exploring. And that quality of intention in the group, people some, somehow got it. If I want this, I have to shift a few things. It wasn't necessarily a big thing. It might mean instead of coming every two weeks to a sitting group, I want to come... Uh, I want to go to another group in the off weeks, you know, or I want to find a buddy and we'll call each other, we'll call each other up and remind us ourselves, you know, or I want to really, uh, one uh, technique that I love is the technique of a Sabbath, which, which I've been doing a lot for most of the last 20 years, which is to take a day a week and it's just practice, more or less. And it doesn't even have to be a whole day just taking three or four hours and really staying with it once a week can have a huge impact on your life. You know, so they're, they're in the group, I think, people will have to see, we, we meet again tomorrow and we'll have to see what happened. <laughs> but I think that there was something that shifted and people kind of got it. 
that their lives are not just going to magically turn mindful just by the fact that they read a book or two and go to a sitting or two. And it's a little bit, um, uh, it's a little bit difficult, you know, to, to, to admit some of these things because there has to be some realism in what it takes to really be mindful. There are a lot of forms of social support which are really helpful, you know, and um, obviously sitting groups are wonderful. Uh, and we can ask, what further does it take in daily life to be mindful? And I was thinking of um, some examples, you know, that, uh, you know, most of us would love to have a work environment where mindfulness is an agreed upon value, right? Think of what that would be like. Can you imagine? Where everyone said, mindfulness is important, and what, how should we shift our work environment to support our mindfulness? Can you imagine that? <laughs> it's hard, yeah. Does anyone have something like that? Yeah, yeah. Maybe you can, maybe afterwards you can tell us something about that. Um, I know that I'm, uh, I'm working with a, a helper now. We work together several times a week. We work about five hours a day, three days a week. And we have an agreement to really make that five hours as if we were living in a monastery. You know, really bring the quality of attention to our work together. And it means simply, it means like sitting maybe 15 minutes at the beginning, 15 minutes kind of halfway through, ringing bells, reminding ourselves, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful to do that. You can do it with one person. You can do it with, there's another story, for whatever reason, there was a, I think this is a story that's reported in a book called Mindfulness and Meaningful Work, where a group of secretaries working in a doctor's office who were all dedicated to mindfulness, they worked together. And they supported each other to be mindful at work and to explore what that meant. There was another doctor who put these, uh, Stickums everywhere. <laughs> this, these stick things are, you know, he, he put it on his telephone. So he put a little red stickum on his telephone so that every time the telephone rang, he would, he would be mindful. So I think we need those, kind of, we need those kinds of uh, reminders, you know. And I know for myself, the social setting has been really important. My experience, I know, sometimes I go into settings where there's an agreed upon value of mindfulness, and I just feel myself being mindful. It may be coming here. You know, I know when I worked with the Buddhist Peace Fellowship Board, it was like that. We were in a setting where everyone has the same values, and it's incredible support for this practice. You know, and there, you know, we would, uh, at our board meetings, which would take uh, usually um, a weekend, and, and either a weekend twice a year and then evenings, we would have communication agreements which helped us to develop mindfulness in the midst of talking. So somehow I think that this is what we're called to find ways to do. But the, to, to uh, go to the last part, the heart of the practice and all of the support is to help us to work intimately with our bodies and our hearts and our minds. That's ultimately the mindfulness practice. And so all of this only supports us to do the work like you were talking about, to really be aware of when there's a distressing moment and have that be a wake-up call for mindfulness. Somehow I think what we really need to do is to find ways to ground more deeply in our bodies and in our hearts and in our observation of our mind shifts so that 
during the day, we almost have a thread that brings us to mindfulness. This is, I think, what we need to do. You know, it might be, in, and I think it's a, it, it's a longer, it's a long training. You know, I really, I tend to think we could actually be more systematic about developing mindfulness in daily life. And I'd like to do some um, five-day retreats devoted to the subject where we're half in silence and half doing daily life practice. I think we desperately need these kind of forms. And I think what we have a training, what our training would consist of getting so familiar with our hearts that they be, that for example, that they are, there's like they're always there or more, more there than they are before so that in every situation we might be saying, how can I be here with my heart open? What kind of training does it take to get us there? To have us be present to our hearts so that, so our first inclination is just to say, I want to come to this activity from my heart. And I think there's a whole training of the heart that we, many of us are, you know, very much engaged in. That there's a training. We could, maybe I'll say more about that next week. And there's also a training in bodily presence, bodily awareness that you mentioned, that I think is also completely crucial in our society. That, to me, um, being, weird, being able to be aware of my body, whether it's in the breath, as some people mentioned, or just my whole body, and have that be, have, uh, be trained enough so that I'm aware to my body, and it's a kind of thread that I can follow during the day. That there's enough awareness there in my body so that it's a kind of constant thread to help with mindfulness. I think we experience this sometimes on retreats. And it's further training to bring that into daily life. You know, I've, I've used the phrase that uh, I learned from uh, my other main mentor along with Sylvia, John Travis. He uses this phrase, let your body be your monastery. We don't have a monastery that we can live in necessarily. But can, you, can we have our bodies be that constant reminder of presence? It takes some practice and training, doesn't it? I think that's possible that we could really train ourselves to have our bodies be the thread that lets us remember to be present. And then thirdly, there's the quality of taking our mind states and our heart states as something to be more and more aware of, particularly maybe the places where we get reactive, the places where we get a little distressed or lost. Can those be wake-up calls? You know, can we bring the, can we see that uh, and have that interest in our moment-to-moment awareness, particularly where we get reactive, so that it's actually most interesting us for our daily lives to be mindful and to look out, how do I get lost? How do I come back? You know, I've told stories over the times I've spoken here about how I particularly took my role as being, um, a f- several years ago, chair of the faculty and having to deal with a difficult president and dean and use it as intensive mindfulness training in reactive states. <laughs> and this has to be confidential, stays here, understand. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I've told those stories because re- I really learned something and I, I got, had a lot of support to do it, but there was something that I knew when I went into that situation said there would be a lot of stuff that would come up. And maybe you can approach the same thing with your families or sometimes with your partners or friends. I knew there was a lot of stuff that was going to come up. And I went into those meetings, which often were three, four hours, like they were a half-day retreat. 
you know, and I did mindfulness practice on BART going into San Francisco from Berkeley, and I did walking meditation through the financial district walking, and I got there, and, you know, and it was a learning process, so it didn't all happen at once, but I trained myself to try to look out, said, I know that I'm going to have, I know that there's going to be stuff which I don't like, I'm going to feel like I'm not listened to, you know, someone yells at me, they don't, you know, they, you know, just ignore what I'm saying, and I'm going to be reactive to that, and I'm going to take this as a kind of training in being mindful about my own reactivity and more skillful about how to respond. And there's a way in which I think we're invited to find ways to do that with our own lives and our own reactivity. And so maybe we can think, I think there's more to say about each of those, I think I'll, I'll do some of that next time. But I think that the heart, you know, once we have all those support, the supports are only there so that we can do this deep work with our, our hearts and our bodies and our minds, you might say, to really um, have the mindfulness be more and more present in daily life. So that, um, so that we really find ways. And I, th- I think it's, it's not just something we need to say, I need to do this Donald all by myself, and if I don't do it, I'm a failure. It's really something collective. You know, we can't do this. I think it's impossible to think about this as being a project of the will that I individually will bring mindfulness single-handedly into my life. I think it's a question of really where do we find support? And how do we give support to each other? And how do we find forms that work? I think this is the large project of the next 20 years or 30 years for this culture, for, for our culture here. It's really to find individual ways to do it and find collective ways that support mindfulness. Because I think we yearn for that depth of practice. And yet we have to be realistic that it's going to take creativity and intention and will and effort and, um, and work together, really, to, to make that possible. And I'm here. I'm going to do it. <laughs> and I, I invite you to join me. So thank you very much. And the invitation is going to be to explore this in the next week, of course. Right? And so, you know, at, at the end, maybe I'll have a little quiet time where we can set our own intentions for the next, next week, if you so choose. If you, there's no, no pressure, but if you want to take this on and have the support of the group and come back next week and, and share what we found, we'll set some intentions at the end that can help be a kind of transition. So any questions or could also be additions to things which really are helpful to you, please. I was interested in you mentioning the Sabbath. Yeah. And I was wondering about more details. Like, yeah. Does that mean just uh, doing daily life with your heart in a different space or does it yeah. mean actually stopping daily life? Yeah. For me, it mostly means stopping a lot of the normal actions of daily life. I don't read newspapers. I don't do emails. Uh, you know, I, I take my Sabbath a lot <clears throat> on the days I teach at Spirit Rock. Like, my Sabbath is the rest of today. I'll stay here and go up in the hills till 8 or 9 at night. And I try to do that about once a week now. And so, for me, it, does, it is helpful to have a kind of, uh, kind of free zone where you're devoted to whatever is going to nourish you spiritually, it could be sitting and walking. It could be reading. It just could be taking a, a walk. I don't think, I think we have to each ask ourselves what's helpful. And it doesn't have to be a whole day. 
I have one friend who does uh, this every Friday from 2 to 6. He does it every Friday. He really stays with it. And that has a huge, that's the pivot of the week. That's the, that's the intention of the Sabbath in Western traditions. And there's a similar tradition in, in, the, uh, in Buddhism. But I think the intention is to have it be kind of the pivot of the week. And for me, when I do it, it's, it, it really, the, that, that day has resonance over the week. And it gives me a knowledge that every week I am stopping some. And I'm devoting myself to what's most important to me. And again, it can be three or four hours goes a long way. You know, a day is very nice, but I, I stop normal, you know, I, uh, sometimes I uh, join others, sometimes I go off by myself, um, sometimes uh, um, I usually, sometimes I do um, some work at home, you know, like manual work or garden work or something like that. Um, but usually I personally, I do a fair amount of sitting and walking and some reading sometimes and um, uh, really have it be um, separated out from the usual activities. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. How many people do something like a Sabbath or a partial Sabbath? Could a morning walk be considered that? Uh, it could. Hour it could be. Yeah. I mean, if you're not talking like a multiple. Yeah, you'll have to see what what has that resonance of a Sabbath. I mean, um, that that's an hour walk every morning is a beautiful practice. Um, just you have to see what, you know, you know it's, it's pretty individual because sometimes our lives are busy and to carve out an hour is a lot. For some of us, that's already happening, was big. You know, for other people, that's easy. For him, this was, with the responsibilities, was really hard. And to do that was, was changed his life. You know? <clears throat> what do other people do for the Sabbath? Please. Kind of like half a day or so, <coughs> and you you have the community <clears throat> for a conversation, and probably sometimes you take a walk around here, you know, or can, but but just the uh, the driving each way can be really that that could be that that's it, isn't it? It's like the break, and and the break in the week, yeah, yeah. Other, please. Just beginning the action changes the energy. Yeah. So as soon as you put on your coat to go to the monastery, it changes the energy. (laughs) And conversely, when I set a Sabbath but check my email because I want to make sure, then that breaks the energy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's a discipline. <clears throat> I have to watch that sneaky voice that says, maybe I should check my email. <laughs> uh, anyone, you all, the, am I the only one that has that voice? <laughs> Please. Yeah. Well, I think when, when I've had my Sabbath days, and, and some of it is walking, and some of it is hand doing the yoga and yeah. meditation, <clears throat> or, or movement meditation, where I'm really involved in an, a whole total experience. Yeah. I've allowed myself to, to completely experience. If I have set something else to do in that afternoon, that could just go out the window because yeah. the reverberations of being totally immersed in something 
just go on yeah. the rest of the day. So it's yeah. better to let it just go for the day. <laughs> Boundaries are helpful. Boundaries are really helpful for a Sabbath. And, and being strict and saying, for me. Mm. Please, yeah. I was on retreat here once, and the teacher said if you've fallen asleep at meditation, so the walking meditation session, you could walk around the front gate and back. And then she said, it's not just a nature walk. Yeah. And my question is, when you're walking in the hills here today, yeah. do you have ways of distinguishing between a nice walk outside <coughs> and mindfulness practice without paying attention to sensations on the soles of your feet all the time? Mm-hmm. What's your experience, please? Yeah. Did everyone hear the question? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how? Maybe it's yeah. Cause it actually brings out a good point, which I think is uh, it's sometimes a hard transition to go from the very very focused kind of awareness, which we tend to have on retreats or even in the formal practice, on the breath or on the sole of the foot and walking, and and how do how do you how do you bring mindfulness into just normal activity? driving, walking in the hills, and so forth, it doesn't seem so practical to just be aware of the sole of the foot sometimes, or to be aware of the breath, and it, sometimes it seems a little overly focused, right? So how do you, I think this is, um, maybe it's one of the reasons why it's a little harder to bring mindfulness in daily life, because we don't exactly know what to do. And I, I have found that, um, I think it's a variety of things. Sometimes I might just be with the contact with the ground, uh, especially if I'm a little scattered. You know, if I'm a, I think when we're, we're a little scattered, we can do those grounding practices that help us come back to be with the breath, just to stop. Sometimes just to stop and be present, feel one's body, not to not to move anywhere. That can be very, very helpful. You know, I. I learned from John over several years of practice, we, we work with the object of the whole body as an object of meditation, the whole field of the body. And so that's a possible uh, meditation subject, which takes a little more concentration, but that is more something that in daily life, maybe I'll talk more about this next week, but that is more a way of being aware of the body that's a little more continuous with being in daily life without having to focus so much. It's just to be aware of the whole field of the body, to be, be present to the body. And, you know, some of my training was just to do that for so many years that it just kind of got drilled into me, like the neurochemistry got shifted or something. It was just, eh, field of body present, <laughs> something like that. So there is an aspect of training here, that it doesn't just come automatically because you want it to happen. There is some need, I think there's, you know, I think there's a need for... Um, for retreats and intensive practice to really make this possible. That's my own experience. But, but I think that that, lar- that larger field of the body just being present, and sometimes we talk about choiceless awareness as a practice, to pe- and people familiar with that practice? It's, uh, I won't go too much into it, but to say that um, there are ways of having the awareness be quite open to a variety of phenomena and not so totally focused down on like the breath or you know the the belly or something like that 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 I think are important for daily life practice because uh, in my experience uh, again some of the training that I had was to learn how to have the whole field of the body be present and be anchored and have 
sort of a constant awareness in my belly and in my heart that we're just that you're just there a lot you know just kind of an ongoing presence that but that 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 was the result of, of a lot of practice that it just after a while something stays there and we're just present to um, body and heart and so forth does that make some sense yeah please yeah <laughs> Yeah. Because I guess I thought that if you took a walk through the woods back here, yeah. that um, a, one, a way to be mindful was just the sensory mm-hmm. input to really yeah. listen and yeah, hear yeah. what was in the woods or feel the warmth of the sun or smell the yeah. That's, that's, that's right. That would be something like the choiceless awareness, just to be open to the phenomena around us. The problem is that it's very easy to space out, right? And so that's a valuable practice, but we also need ways of grounding. You know, because I think the, and I think, uh, I, I'm not sure that we've really taught choiceless awareness in a way that really stresses that grounding. That there, there, I think, because I think for me, the choiceless awareness is really powerful if I'm, if I have that grounding in my body that's pretty, pretty solid, then I can go out without getting so lost, you know, or, or to, um, that, for me, that's why, again, it comes from partly from working with John, is that this stress on having the body be one's monastery is really, really crucial. Just have it be kind of a, a presence that's there more and more. Maybe the last question, please. I was just curious about how many people in this group have small kids at home. <laughs> I mean, I would love to hear about resources or kind of tips yeah. and hints. So much. I mean, I've been coming here for several years and yeah. read a lot of books, and there's so much sort of focus on the what to me is this idealistic kind of real personal, grown-up intellectual, you know, pursuit of mindfulness and the chaos of mm-hmm. screen and that sort of thing. And I think, how do you do it? How do you do it under yeah. those circumstances? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think you could look at it another way. Because I have heard friends say, I just signed up for an 18-year long monastery. <laughs> it doesn't look quite like the ordinary one, right? What? Well, monasteries aren't as romantic as they're made out to be either. Yeah. Um, please, yeah. I wanted to say in regard to that, actually, um, and when you were asking us what helps us in our daily life, because I do have young children, um, like, for example, I mean, for me, it's as simple as slowing down and just paying attention. And, like, when I'm doing, you know, folding the laundry, it's very easy because it's such an automatic thing just to not even pay attention to it. And, And I find that especially as the duties mount up in my day, that if I stop and pay attention and I'm mindful of how I'm folding it, that keeps the frenzy at bay. Yeah. Otherwise, I just get yeah. more and more frenzy. Yeah, I think, I think there's, uh, there's a book by John Kabat-Zinn on mindful parenting. And I think uh, Heather Sundberg with the family program is exploring a lot of this. I think the basics aren't any different than what we've said. You know, it's to slow down, to find support, maybe other parents in the same situation, talk with them. 
uh, it would be to, uh, again, find different kinds of support, slowing down, taking, having a little bit of break time for yourself so you can come back to presence, something like a Sabbath, maybe not a whole day, but maybe two hours or something, doing daily practice. And then there'd be the practice of, of coming back to really work with your heart and mind. You know, It seems like a totally real question to ask, how can my heart be present with my kids? And to have that be a very powerful practice, how can I uh, watch my mind when they're screaming? Right? I was talking with uh, Gil Fronsdale a few days ago, who has two very, very young kids, and he says, you know, my mind's getting quite a bit better when there's total chaos and they're screaming, and I just thought, oh, oh. <laughs> and, he, he, and so we were talking about that. It was, very, it was very interesting. So I think there are ways that you can have the counterpart of the work with the heart, with the body, and the mind. Uh, but what, uh, what's uh, what important is the support. What kind of supports, what supports you to do that? So maybe we can come back and you can explore and tell us what you found next week. Because I think what I'd like to do, I, w- I want to make one or two announcements, and then I want to have us just take two minutes one or two minutes, and set our intentions. How many people are willing to do an experiment next week to bring mindfulness to your daily life and intend to come back and share what you found? Okay. More or less. Not, not, not written in stone, but okay. So um, just, just two announcements. Uh, first of all, uh, for those interested, there's a meeting of the Dharma book group right after class uh, in this room. And, and what is the book that's being read? Uh, we don't have a book that's being read this month, but we're going to agree on one for next month. So that's, that's a group that meets once a month, right? Yeah. And after this class. And for those of you who uh, don't know that we work with a system here called Donna or Generosity, and that there's a class fee, which those for the first time don't have to pay, and that the, um, the teachers mm-hmm. and our are really uh, supported to do our work by your generosity. And it's especially meaningful for me because I'm shifting away from my former job and dropping quite a lot of salary and doing more Dharma teaching, so it's going into the unknown, so (laughs) interesting. Um, And lastly, uh, I have some flyers here, and there's some out there that I just, I think Sylvia talked about this last week, but, but I wanted just to tell you about a retreat that I'm doing with Diana Winston which is going to be a lot on exactly the topic we talked about today. It's called Meditation in Action. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot about the relationship between individual practice and bringing the practice out into the world. Uh, and I have flyers up here if you're interested and if you want to talk. It's just going to be, it's going to be up at the Council House September 14th to 19th, and there's just going to be room for 20 people. And so it's... Um, I think it'll have a lot to do with what we talked about today. So if you want to really strengthen that and work in a very intimate setting, and Diana and I are going to share a lot of what we've uh, learned over the last 10 years doing this, doing this work in, in everyday life. So I'll have the flyers here, and please talk to me if you're interested, because we, we want this to happen. It's kind of an experiment. So let's just sit for a minute or so. And let be present whatever was most helpful or impactful from the morning.
and set your intention for the next week. What will help you to explore how to develop more mindfulness in in your daily life? What intentions do you have concretely about what to do or any adjustments to make? And what in particular will you do in the next 24 hours that will help ground your intentions? And if you want to, after the bell rings, to write down some of your intentions, that could be very skillful. Let's close by the traditional dedication of merit, which recognizes that we do this work for ourselves, but we also do it for others. That we bring about more mindfulness in our own lives for ourselves, for our own happiness. We also do it for all others. That our awakening has a huge impact on others. So may the fruits of this morning be dedicated to the awakening, the transformation, the freedom of all beings. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.